There is a story that is told of a battleship that was assigned to a training squadron. Perhaps you've heard this story at some point or another. The ship had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. The visibility was poor with patchy fog. So the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported, light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or moving astern? The captain called out. The lookout replied, steady captain, which meant the battleship was on a dangerous collision course with the unknown ship. The captain then called to the signal man, signal to that ship this warning. We are on a collision course. We advise you to change your course 20 degrees. The signal replied back, advisable for you to change your course 20 degrees. The captain countered, send this. I'm a captain, change your course 20 degrees. The reply back, I'm a seaman second class. You had better change your course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain was furious. He spat out, send this. I'm a battleship, change your course 20 degrees. Back came the seaman second class. I am a lighthouse. The battleship changed its course. So whose authority triumphed in that scenario? Well, obviously the seaman second class. And naturally, the captain would have been indignant if you know anything about the military, if you know anything about the Navy. A seaman second class is the second lowest enlisted rank in the United States Navy, telling the captain what to do. Clearly, the authority of the captain should have surpassed that of the seaman, and in ordinary circumstances, it would have. But in this case, the seaman's order surpassed the captain's because he did not command the battleship based upon his own rank. His authority rested on the merit of the lighthouse. To argue with the sailor manning the lighthouse would demonstrate ultimate foolishness and eventual shipwreck. No one but a fool would contend with the beacon perched on the unyielding sea cliff, flashing its warning to unsuspecting ships. Thus, the captain of the battleship, whose rank far surpassed that of the second-class seaman, surrendered to his authority. So obviously we can see various connections going on there, right? We could make all kinds of analogies. But um, I think it's important for us, of course, to recognize that when we have authority given to us to parent our children, where does that authority come from? It comes from God. To do that, we parent our children according to what God has commanded us in his word. And that never changes. <clears throat> so we um, are going to move right onto your outline tonight. And actually, this is even this whole capital A here is kind of really all an introduction before we talk about authority and the importance of how to parent your children in a way that you can help them to respond well to authority. Because that's our goal, right? That our children would respect and honor authority. Because if they have no regard for authority, even in the human realm, how are they going to then transfer that, that respect for authority when it comes to God? So, like I said, I have kind of a long introduction here, but A is cultural patterns of rebellion. So we live in a culture where admiration, respect, and obedience for authority is diminishing at an alarming rate. The various ideologies I presented at the beginning of our study are stripping away even the most basic need and appreciation for authority. The campaign to defund the police reveals how absurd our society has become. So let me remind you that the sinful heart of man will always eventually defy authority because the sinful heart of man has no desire ever to submit. <clears throat> the further a person or society strays from biblical principles, the further they will move from submission to authority. It is God who has established authority. So when a person or society turns their back on God, respect and adherence to authority will diminish. 
This is precisely where we find ourselves today. As our culture shifts away from the moorings of Judeo-Christian principles, we find ourselves swimming in a sea of rebellion against God-given authority. As we consider this topic, I would like to remind you of some that, excuse me, that the prevailing philosophies being promoted across our country in schools, colleges, and social media are aimed at the destruction of biblical authority. And I realize I'm not telling you something that you don't already know, but I'm going to try and, and put it together here with some examples. They are directly impacting how young people view authority in our society. So what is going on is not just that we have a campaign to defund the police, but this is trickling down. These ideas are trickling down to the youngest citizens in our country, and we need to be aware. We may observe things like riots, looting, and campaigns to defund the police and wonder how in the world people could think these things are a good idea. What would influence people to promote and support these acts of rebellion? The first and most obvious answer is that the unregenerate heart of man does not want to submit to authority. To participate in these forms of opposition simply reveals what we already know to be true about humanity's sinful heart. What we don't often consider is who is promoting and encouraging these wicked demonstrations. Of course, we know that Satan is a treacherous enemy who is on the warpath to destroy. The Apostle Peter referred to him as a prowling lion who comes looking like an angel of light. So I put two verses there. Peter says that he comes like a roaring lion, prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. And then Corinthians says he comes as an angel of light. His goal is to oppose God in every way possible, but he is skillful and cunning in his approach. He is the master counterfeiter. He makes right look wrong and wrong look right so that humanity is totally deceived. Christians must not be drawn into his lies. We must learn to recognize his deception and not simply recognize it, but refute it. So I'm going to remind you of one particular uh, way that Satan's agenda has been embraced and promoted in our society, particularly in the arena of authority, since we are, of course, studying that topic tonight. <clears throat> when we began this study, I don't know if you guys remember, back to the very beginning, I reviewed it a couple weeks ago, I explained that one of the major influences against authority in our society has come through those who promote the ideas of Karl Marx. Do you remember what he was trying to establish? Like his whole uh, philosophy for government and society and all that. Do you remember what it was? He was trying to create a utopian society. This was his goal. So a utopian society, well, that doesn't really sound that bad, right? We would all like a utopian society, a perfect world. Marx presented an attractive alternative to a world full of heartache, crime, injustice, and pain. But keep in mind, it was the equivalent of Satan's strategy to make evil look good. And this is what I really want you to see. And I know probably most of us don't really care that much about Karl Marx and his philosophies. But they are still alive and well and being promoted in our society in ways that maybe we aren't recognizing. The idea of a utopian society appears beautiful when you think of a world where everybody gets along and there's no injustice and everything's fair. Well, that could sound like a good thing, but it is entirely ungodly. So number one, they, the cultural patterns of rebellion, are initially attractive but result in destruction. And so uh, from 2 Corinthians 11, 14, and 15, and this is what I mentioned just a second ago, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Marx had no fear of God. And so naturally, he is going to come up with his own ideas, and whether he means to or not, he is trying to promote something that society is going to embrace, but ultimately it is entire destruction because he is not guided by the Holy Spirit and he is not 
uh, encouraged or guided by the, whole, by the word of God as well. So listen carefully as I briefly and simplistically describe Marx's ideas. Notice he begins with a wonderful promise of hope and beauty, that utopia that he talked about, but he seeks to achieve it through methods that are entirely opposed to God's word. So Marx believed that creating a utopian society was the answer to the world's woes. To achieve this utopia, he envisioned this, oh, sorry, this utopia he envisioned, he proposed the need to strip away all forms of authority because in his view, the person who ruled over another inflicted hardship and oppression. He saw what ails society as coming directly from social structures of authority, such as the church and the family. Thus, if all forms of oppression were stripped away, evil would be eliminated and a utopian society could emerge. So the only way that you could accomplish and have what he described as the most wonderful thing is if you were in absolute and total defiance of what God's word has to say. Marx's ideas lie at the foundation of many of the ideologies being promoted today, such as social justice and intersectionality, which we mentioned before, and I'm not going to get into that. But Owen Strawn outlined some of their claims in his book, Christianity and Wokeness. And I know I mentioned that to you guys before, and I really am not trying to just dig this up again. Why are we here again? Um, because I really want you to understand there are connections here. This, the, these, his ideas really do influence where the, thing, the things, I guess I should say, that are influencing children even today. So I just want to make you aware of those things. So here are a couple of Strawn's summary statements explaining the underlining philosophies behind things like social justice and intersectionality. So here's what they promote. Men who have leadership positions naturally oppress women and toxic, excuse me, toxic masculinity predominates. So right there, they're saying men should not have leadership. And they go on to say, and again, this is his summary, but adults oppress children, especially religious ones, including those who homeschool. That, that's some of y'all, right? And then another summary, Christians oppress religious minorities. So these are some of the things that things like social justice are promoting. What are they aimed at? They are directly aimed at you guys and your families. Why? Because this is Satan's work in the world to destroy you guys as parents, destroy your children, to destroy the family, and to destroy the church. That's his goal. And so, like I mentioned earlier on, we need to be aware of these things so that we don't grow uh, complacent in our parenting. It's a lot of work over a long period of time. But you will reap what you sow. Do not grow weary in well-doing. So number two, they entirely deny the teaching of Scripture. So through these statements, Strawn helps us identify some of the leading philosophies gaining headway in our culture. Men who have leadership positions, adults who have authority over children, and Christians who do not compromise on the gospel are all considered obstacles to attaining a good and happy society. So why do we not have a good society? It's your fault. I mean, really, that's what they believe. It's our fault. These ideas chip away at the very foundation of God's design for the proper function of society. Removing men from leadership position removes them from the authority God has bestowed on them to lead their families and to lead the church. Removing adults from oppressing children removes parents from teaching and training their children in the Lord. And removing the ability of Christians to promote a true gospel eliminates the influence of scripture that would hold a society to God's standard of authority within the social structure. Sometimes these philosophies floating around in the upper echelon of society don't really concern us because we don't understand how they are affecting us on a daily basis. So we tend to separate ourselves because we're like, yeah, that's, you know, they're teaching that in the colleges. Or, you know, that's what they just are saying on the liberal news. 
but it actually seeps in in places we don't recognize. I would like to provide a couple of examples to show you how these ideas are reaching down to the youngest members of our society to indoctrinate them into godless ways of thinking. So basically what I did is I just went on Amazon and looked for a few children's books. It took me all of about five minutes to find these two examples. Didn't take long at all because our culture is just filled with this stuff. So example number one. In a little board book titled, Courageous People Who Changed the World, various abolitionists are highlighted, such as William Wilberforce, Abraham Lincoln, and Harriet Tubman. The smallest subtleties sneak in if we are not careful to evaluate what is being taught. So here is a direct quote out of the book. Little Harriet did not like being told what to do, because, but because she had dark skin, that's exactly what happened all day long. I do not know if the author intended to undermine authority or not, but the issue is not that Harriet was being told what to do. Slavery involves much, much, much more than that. A teacher, a boss, a police all tell us what to do. The issue was much deeper than this simplistic statement implies. We need to consider what kinds of thoughts this may foster in a child's mind. Are we helping them to have a proper view of authority? Or are we teaching them that it is a bad thing to be told what to do? The rest of the book was pretty decent, but just slip that in there so subtly. And of course we know it's connected to social justice and all that as well, but you need to pay attention. What are your kids reading? What are the school books that they have? What, um, this is a board book meant for little, like two-year-olds. And they're still saying that. She was told what to do, and that was the problem. So this one, I felt like was way worse. This is another children's board book, again, and the title is this. No, my first book of protest. Oh, don't you just want to buy that for your baby for Christmas? <clears throat> so clearly, you all know this is a bad idea, but I still am using it. This, this book addresses subjects that would be considered unjust. So here is what Amazon, how Amazon describes the book. Activists of all ages will learn about the abolitionist movement, civil rights, women's rights, and more. Detailed, colorful art will thoroughly engage toddlers and preschoolers, and the chance to join the refrain on every spread no, no, is sure to please the tiniest protester. Well, yeah. The description on the back of the book, it says this. What, what's your child's favorite word? By the time they're two, they all have the same one. Little ones will love to chime in with no, no, as they learn about speaking up for important issues like equality, education, and environment. Fun, rhyming texts introduce iconic activists. This is the perfect primer for the youngest citizens of the world. Now, I imagine none of you are going to go out and buy that book. But this is what is influencing other people. Children in schools, other people that you rub shoulders with. These are what their kids are being taught from the time they are little bitty. You don't think authority is being attacked in our society? It certainly is. It is true that children need to learn to say no. They need to say no to their own selfishness. They need to say no to sin. But teaching them to say no without the proper, proper biblical instruction of submission and authority will likely encourage rebellion rather than surrender to Jesus Christ. If we encourage a two-year-old to defiantly yell, no, no. Imagine how this child will respond when they are 13 in junior high or when they are 18 heading off to college. So clearly we have a very difficult job ahead of us as we seek to instruct our children in the word of God. And nobody said it was going to be easy. But remember Daniel. Always remember that whole lesson we did on Daniel because we know that society 
does not determine whether or not your child knows God and walks with God. But we also cannot become complacent in it. And we need to recognize the areas that we are perhaps even ourselves by our own example um, harming our children's view of authority. How do we respond to the government? How do you as wives respond to your husband? How do you talk about the leaders of the church? There's so many ways that we can undermine authority and we don't even realize we are the one promoting the rebellion against authority in our own homes. So creating a utopian society, as we know, is impossible. The utopian society we are looking for will only be found in the new heaven and the new earth, and we know that it is coming one day. Until then, we must by faith, okay, I'm telling you, walking according to the word of God is an act of faith because you oftentimes can't see those results right away. A lot of times we do what God says because he says it and we do it over a long period of time because he says it. By faith, we believe that he will accomplish his will and so by faith, we walk with him. But we don't do it in our own strength. By faith, we obey his word with the power of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, he's given us everything that we need. With his word and his spirit, we have no excuse. We must teach our children to do likewise. Unlike the children of Israel who failed to pass on their love for God to their children, you must endeavor to teach your children to love God with all their hearts and live obediently to his word. So B on your outline is God's design for authority. And I think that this is going to be kind of a long lesson, so I am not going to read the verses. That's why I printed them out there for you so you can look at them yourself. But I did at least have to include some basics of God's structure of authority because it's not just that children obey their parents and it's not just that wives submit to their husbands. There's a whole gamut of, of authority that is appropriate for different people within the society and for all of us we are all under some form of authority and ultimately under God's authority. So number one, everyone is called to submit to the government. Number two, believers are called to submit to the elders of their church. Hebrews 13 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Number three, slaves, and I guess we could liken this to employees, are called to submit to their master, or we could say boss. So that's Ephesians 6, 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters. Number four, wives are called to submit to their husbands. Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. Wives, be subject to your own husband. Not to everybody else's husband. To your own husband. Number five, men are called to submit to Christ. So 1 Corinthians eleven three, And I am going to read this because I want you to see what it says here. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of man and that man is the head of woman and God is the head of Christ. So we have God, Christ, man, woman. There's this beautiful chain in God's design for authority. And then we have in Ephesians 6, 1, number 6 on your outline, children are called to obey or to submit to their parents. And then number 7, rebellion exemplifies the sin of Satan. So that isn't I'm kind of straying away from uh, God's authority in the same way I've been describing it, but I wanted to include this on here because 1 Samuel 15, 23 says this, for rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. So rebellion exemplifies the sin of Satan who ultimately did what? At the fall. He rebelled against God. And when we rebel against God's, the God's authority, we are exemplifying the same characteristic of Satan in that moment. 
So that's a really quick flyby of God's, some of God's design for authority. But I just wanted to make you aware to stick it in your mind so you at least have it so there's no questions. You got the scripture right there. But we need to keep moving if we're going to talk about it in the context of parenting. So C, a fool does not value authority. So unlike the captain of the ship who surrendered to the lighthouse, a fool rejects authority. The fool's ultimate rejection is revealed in Psalm 14, 1. The fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. That is the ultimate rebellion against authority, denying the existence of God. The heart of the fool is in love with himself. He loves his own ideas, his own words, his own pursuits, his own accomplishments, his own significance, and most importantly, his own way. As a result, there is not room in his heart to submit to the authority of God. The most foolish person would rather deny the existence of God than to bend the knee to his authority. The desire of the fool revolves around getting his own way. Naturally, he will despise any authority who hinders him from gratifying his desires. So why do people hate the police? Because the police get in the way of them doing what they want to do in that moment. They want to gratify their own desires and the police officer gets in the way of that and so they hate the police officer. Rather than embracing the way the world teaches children, resisting being told what to do and defiantly shouting no, no, we must identify their foolishness and instruct our children biblically. So notice in the following verses that we're going to look at, and I think I left the verses on your outline again, which I know your outline's really long today, but I really did want you to have those verses in front of you. So the wise man humbly receives counsel and instruction, while the fool consistently pursues what he desires regardless of the harm it causes himself or other people. Notice that the underlying attitude of the fool is disrespect and rebellion against authority. So basically what we're gonna do here is I've got all these different little points with all these verses, and I want to help you think through what it means to be a fool and what it means to hate authority and how to begin to wrap your mind around, I'm sure probably most of you are doing this already, but, but thinking through areas that your children are acting rebelliously. And I think that for a lot of parents, especially if you weren't raised with an example of godly parents that, that um, taught you this, where you saw it on a, on a daily basis, this is really hard because you were raised, if you were raised in an, un, in an unbelieving home, with all different thoughts and ideas. So then knowing as a Christian, what do I do with this? How, when is my child being rebellious? What does that look like? Do I spank them for it? Do I not? What do I do? So my hope is that as we look through these passages tonight, it's gonna to give a little bit of clarity on some of these things. And if you already know all this stuff, if you're anything like I was as a mom, you forget it regularly. <laughs> so maybe it'll just prove to be a reminder of, oh yeah, I've let that one go again. Oh yeah, I need to brush up on that again as well. So number one, a foolish child is right in his own eyes and disrespects authority. He may argue with you, defend himself, or blame shift. So Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So on your notes, he may argue with you, defend himself, or blame shift. And you know what? Little bitty kids can do this very well. They don't have to be 13 to do this. Toddlers can do this as well. But be paying attention. This is why I've had you guys working through the Proverbs this whole year, so that when we get to this lesson, a lot of these you've already paid attention to. You've already been exposed to. You have already thought through some of these passages so that you can identify foolish, wise. I am promoting wisdom on this. Ooh, yikes. I did not deal with my child's foolishness in this instance. 
So number two, a foolish child wants to correct you or explain how it really happened or what they know. Even children as young as three years old can do this. It is foolish and the child must be trained to hear the instruction of those who are older and wiser. So Proverbs 18.2, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Have you ever tried to correct a child and they just have this long explanation of why they aren't wrong, why it's somebody else's fault? I mean, and some kids are really, really skilled at this. <laughs> so we're going to talk about at the end how to address some of these things. So clearly you're recognizing it as a problem. So number three, a foolish child expresses defiance after discipline and needs more discipline. So Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. And then Proverbs 29, 1, a man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. So if you have a child, how many times I have had mom say to me, I spank them and then they stand up and laugh at me. So what do you do? Well, remember it needs to sting. So if the spanking didn't, they couldn't feel it, then you have a problem right there. And there are children that have very, very strong rebellion against your authority. And so there are times when you aren't necessarily going to be able to correct that in a disciplined situation. But I would say for the majority of children, you can do that. And I think every single one of our kids at one time or another did that. We gave them a spanking and they stood up and laughed or, you know, didn't hurt, whatever. And so, especially if they exercised like their defiant will by saying something disrespectful or whatever, the response was, you need to turn over because that was disrespectful again. And so they get another spanking at that point. And why? Why do we do this? Did you catch Proverbs 29.1? A man who hardened his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. This is what we are trying to keep our children from becoming. And so you parent with love and grace and wisdom and kindness but also faithfully according to God's word so that, Lord willing, this will not be your child. And remember what I said, it's by what? Faith. You do what God's word says, even when you don't understand it, even when you wrestle to do it, even when it seems like the hardest thing you've ever done. That is faith. Remember Abraham. What did he do? What is he recognized for in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews? He, by faith, took Isaac up that mountain to sacrifice him. It didn't make one lick of sense, except for that he knew God would keep his promise, and Isaac was the promised child. And so he did what God asked of him, even though it didn't make sense. That is exactly where you live as a mommy sometimes. This doesn't make sense. Do you know how many years I have been working on the heart of this child, praying for the heart of this child? You keep on doing it and you never give up. And even if your child gets to adulthood and still does not know the Lord, you don't stop praying. You don't stop working to your grave if that child does not know the Lord. And that child might still come to know the Lord even after you are dead and long gone. So number four, a foolish child creates strife with those around him because he is proud and will not receive instruction. So Proverbs 13.10, through insolence or pride comes nothing but strife, but wisdom is with those who receive counsel. So if you have a child that is very focused on themselves, you probably notice how that child can bring discord 
in the family where one minute when that child wasn't there, everybody else in the family was all together and it was comfortable and nice and everybody was getting along and that one child walks in and what happens to the atmosphere? It's like all of a sudden it's entirely gone because to be proud is to create strife where one goes. And so we are seeking to help our children by administering the Word of God to them in such a way that they, by God's Spirit, will open their eyes so that they will see their pride and repent. So number five, a foolish child gets angry when corrected or disciplined. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. So here's a little uh, need for some introspection, probably, because as moms, can be really hard to keep your cool when you are provoked and provoked and provoked and provoked by a difficult child. But you have to keep in mind, a wise man or woman, in this case, holds back your temper. This is absolutely critical. And it's not that you're never gonna lose your cool again. If you wrestle with this, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, if you wrestle with anger, get some counseling get some help to help you learn how to respond rightly biblically so that you are not controlled by your anger because you're gonna have a really hard time teaching your child to respond without anger if you are constantly responding in anger number six a foolish child lacks self-control and is quickly angered when he doesn't get his own way Proverbs 29:22, An angry man stirs up strife, and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. And then Proverbs 14:29, He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. So ultimately, anger is usually the result of not getting what we want or getting something that we didn't want, right? And that's what it is with a child. They get angry when they don't get their own way. And the same with us. We get angry at our child. Why? Because we didn't get our own way. They didn't act the way we wanted them to. We have to look and evaluate this. But ultimately, sinful anger is usually because there's something that we desire that we have not been able to get. Or on the flip side, we get something we didn't want to have. So number seven, a foolish child brags about himself or his accomplishments or knowledge and exalts himself to others. You know what, I think I was supposed to have cut that. Is that off of your notes? I'm gonna leave that off because I decided in the end that I felt like I might, I didn't feel like the application was good on that verse. So we're just gonna keep on going. So clearly my notes are not updated like yours. So we'll see where we end up in this. Yikes. This is what happens when you go from computer to uh, tablet and, you know, Dropbox and all of this. I thought I had updated it. Okay, so I believe it's your number seven. A foolish child uses their words to harm others to get what they want. They may try to harm you by saying things like, you don't love me. <laughs> Have you ever started to discipline a child and then they say things like that? So Proverbs 2.18, there is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So you need to recognize what your child's doing. If they are using their words to crush you in, when you are bringing discipline to bear to get out of it, then you need to address that and recognize what's happening. Number, number eight, the foolish child talks without listening. Teach your children not to interrupt and to listen well before speaking. They need to hear your biblical explanation without interrupting you to defend themselves or dominate with their own opinion. So Proverbs 18:13, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. So you need to help your child to listen to the instruction that you are giving them. And if they refuse to listen, then you may need to bring discipline to bear so that they will listen to what you are trying to explain from the Word of God. And number nine, a foolish child is dishonest 
and may try to deceitfully deny his rebellion and disobedience to your authority. So Proverbs 12, 19, and 20. Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. So Jesus said of himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus referred to Satan as what? The father of lies. It is important to teach children the need to be truthful. If they have disobeyed you and then lied to you, you may need to discipline them once for the disobedience and a second time for the deceitfulness for lying. Proverbs 12:22 says, "Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight." This is critical. It's very, very serious to help your children be truthful. And for whatever reason, some kids just have this desire to be more deceitful than others. I had one child, you'd be surprised to know who it is, who loved to be deceitful and to be sneaky. <laughs> Sneak chocolate chips out of the pantry. Sneak, it was always sneaking stuff. <laughs> so funny story on that. It wasn't Caitlin. <laughs> I was that one. <laughs> so we moved. Um, so we were moving because we bought a different house. So we were moving from the one house. And when we pulled the bed out, behind the bed were so many candy wrappers. Oh, my word. This child had been sneaking candy. Actually, I think that might have been a couple of kids on that, that one. Sneaking candy from, like, you know, the Halloween candy or whatever. And eating it and stuffing it back there behind the bed, thinking I would never know, but I found out. Be sure your sin will find you out. <laughs> I used to use that with the kids too and say, look at God helped me to see what you were doing. You thought you were being sneaky, but God revealed your heart to me. <laughs> so anyways, okay, so moving on. <clears throat> Evidence of rebellion against authority in your child. So ultimately disrespect is a form of rebellion against authority. So what are, what are some forms of this expressed in your children? And basically, um, there's a lot of things. I just have a little list here. And I categorized it with verbal and nonverbal, just so that you're thinking through. It doesn't have to be something necessarily that your child says. And I'm sure that you guys are all aware of this. But keep in your mind, as I talk through these things, that these aren't just little because they reveal what's going on in your child's heart. And that's the thing you're trying to get at, right? You're trying to get at what is in their heart as best as you are able as the mommy. So when you see some of these things, don't just dismiss it, ask questions. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to immediately give a spanking, ask questions, draw their heart out. Try to understand what's going on so that you have a fuller understanding. Did they act that way just because, you know, it's just how they express themselves in that, men, that moment? Is there other things that, are they really tired? Is there other things that are um, causing that? A stress with a friend, they're hungry. And I'm not saying that you just ignore it because there are other reasons. I'm just saying you need to understand. And the best way to, to administer discipline, if it's necessary, you need to understand. Because otherwise, you could be disciplining your child for something that you don't understand, and that is harmful as well. So anyways, but I do want you to recognize some of the things here. that, And I, I did call it rebellion because when we are fighting against authority in our lives, it's because there is a rebellious heart. So my little list here, and I don't think this is on your outline. Arguing, angry speech, or yelling, making excuses, blaming other people. Some kids get really good at this and then they try and correct you, right? They try and tell you where you're wrong. Complaining, grumbling, whining, which ultimately, what is that? It's an attitude of ungratefulness, total lacking thankfulness. 
So even a tone of voice, and I know it's a lot of work because if you have a child that's really struggling, you're gonna be trying to pay attention to this child all the time to draw them out, to understand, to discipline them when is necessary. This is wearying, but why are you doing it? Because of all those other things that we read about the fool, right? Because you don't want your child to end up so stiff-necked that they end up in their own destruction. And I didn't say this specifically, but it really needs to be said. You need to pray because you need the strength of the Lord. You need him to impress his word on your child's heart by his spirit. You will never accomplish anything in your child's heart apart from God doing it. You are the means that God will oftentimes use using his word to do that. But you are absolutely holy and completely dependent on God to do that work. Therefore, you must be praying. So write that somewhere on your notes because I didn't have it on your notes. So there's direct defiance. Just write out saying no. Our children were never allowed to tell us outright no. They would get in trouble for that and they knew it. A child's, and, and I will say even with that, because we started when they were very little, <coughs> never allowing them to say no, by the time they got to be teenagers, and especially with one of our children that walked through a fairly rebellious stage at one point, that child would still not ever say no with that same, they could be raging mad. <laughs> but they would not be disrespectful because the things that they had been trained when they were little were so deeply um, Im imprinted in their heart that, and it didn't mean that they were walking with God. They weren't at all, but there was still that respect for authority. I was always blown away by that, to be really honest. I thought, look at, look at how angry you are. Look at how you are fighting against authority on one hand, and yet you will not defy me on the other hand. Very interesting. A child's, so I'm taking a really long time to get through this list, aren't I? So a child's rebuttal to your instruction. So for example, I'll do it when I'm done. So you tell them to do something and they immediately say back to you, I'll do it after I do this. No, that's, that's not obedience. That's outright disobedience. Teach them to ask if they can do it when they are done. So teach them how, because you know, sometimes children are children and they have to be reminded. So you might have to say to them, honey, that was not a very nice way to talk to mommy. What's a better way to say that? And then, you know, they'll turn around and say it the right way. Probably if they are a little bit upset about what you asked them to do, they're probably not gonna have an immediate sweet attitude. <laughs> So that can sometimes be a little bit more evident when you actually like just kind of probe them on it or instruct them how to do it. Then running to the other parent for sympathy. This is really important also because if you have a child that you discipline and they run to the other parent so the other parent gives comfort, what are they doing? They're really trying to work you guys against each other as parents. You cannot allow that to happen. So what Craig and I would do if that happened, so if Craig would spank and the kids would run to me, I would be like, no, you go back to your daddy. You work that out with your daddy. And I would not hug them until they had worked it out with daddy first. So, uh, and then last on this little list, gossiping to their, their siblings. So, or, you know, to the other parent or to whoever's in the room or whatever. But if you have told your child to do something or you've disciplined them and they're still angry about it, they may very well go and talk bad to whoever will listen to them, and that is disrespectful and rebellious as well. So number two, nonverbal rebellion. So these are things that maybe might be a little bit more subtle. Rolling the eyes. Pouting or sulking. I will tell you that one of the greatest benefits of teaching your children and disciplining them, teaching them in, in the instruction of scripture and disciplining them for their sinfulness is that you will have such a more happy home because nobody is happy when they're living in their sin. 
and your children are not happy when they're living in their sin. And some kids will just choose that. Even with discipline, they will still choose that, but many will not. And so as you are being obedient to the word of God, you are, are giving the greatest opportunity to have a happy home, a happy household, where your children like to be at home, where they want to come home. It's a pleasant place to be, which really makes it nice for dad as well, because then he wants to be at home instead of with all these little monsters. <laughs> so rolling the eyes, pouting and sulking, heavy sighing, slamming doors, stomping feet, or even just a full-on temper tantrum. I mean, that's pretty evident, right? <laughs> and I'm sure there are a lot of other things that you guys could add to this list. This is just kind of things that I was thinking of. But be aware of what is going on so that you can address it biblically. That's the whole point. If you ignore it, then you're not able to address it according to the scripture. So you want to be able to take scripture and administer it to their little heart in that moment so that God can use his word to bring conviction by his spirit. So you don't want to neglect these things and even these little signals. You don't want to ignore them because you're going to learn a lot about your child as you probe, as you ask questions, as you need to bring discipline to help them. But generally speaking, a child wants to please their parents, especially if you have a good relationship with your kids, they're going to want to please you. And when they sin against you, it puts a breach in your relationship, does it not? So when you bring that discipline, it now all of a sudden writes everything and puts you back in good relationship with that child and they're no longer alienated by their sin any longer. So there's so many aspects to this that are just so absolutely important. Children will use any number of sinful responses to get their own way. Keep in mind that the reason they dislike your authority is because it prevents them from living by their own will and getting their own way. This isn't anything new. We were exactly the same way and many times are still exactly the same way. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And that's exactly what our children are living out before they know the Lord. If a child wants their own way, they will resort to using whatever methods are necessary to attain it. They may seek to get control through disrespectful, sinful behaviors in order to get what they want. We might also refer to this method as manipulation. We hear that a lot, right? When the heart is set on getting its own way, it seeks to gain control. Because if we want our own way, we're going to try and control the circumstance so that we can get what we want, right? And that's where manipulation comes in. In order to gain control, it will use those methods that I listed above. So all of those things, oftentimes a child will sulk and pout or whine, complain, roll or whatever, all these different things because they are trying ultimately to get their own way and they will try and use whatever works on you as the mom to push your buttons, as we might say, to get their own way so that you will let them have it. So E, parents must guard against encouraging the child's rebellion. So how do you teach your children to have a proper attitude toward authority? Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, and this is your memory verse. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves that he not be wise in his own eyes. So you are to help your child in their sin by administering scripture accurately and appropriately so that they will not be wise in their own eyes. And you don't want to end up, your child argues or talks back to you. You do not want to engage in that because now all of a sudden you've become a fool right with them. What does it say? Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will also be like him. When you have the sassy teenager that, that disrespects and argues with you and then you join that, by defending yourself, if they accuse you, what have you just done? You have become like 
that rebellious child. You want to be really, really careful that you do not allow that to happen. So number one, you must learn to recognize your child's sinful disrespect and rebellion. And number two, you must respond biblically to their disrespect and rebellion. So you need to recognize it and you need to respond biblically using appropriate scripture. So I have a few examples here. Uh, I saw on Facebook actually somebody, nobody that you guys would know. <laughs> That's the only reason why I can share this. Um, so. Um, a mother of a little girl, I'm guessing probably four years of age or something, posted on Facebook. And the child had asked to wear her Disney princess costume to church. And the mom responded, so the mom is explaining all of this as it goes. And the mom responded by telling her daughter, no, because church is not the place to wear dress-up clothes. The child countered by explaining that she was a princess of God, so she should be allowed to wear her costume princess to church. Pretty good argument when you're four, huh? So, is that a good response? No. The mother proceeded to capitulate to her daughter saying that, I couldn't argue with that. Yes, you could. That dear mother unwittingly allowed her little daughter to manipulate her through clever persuasion. What has this little girl just learned about how to get her own way? She just has to be clever. If she can come up with a good enough and convincing enough reason, she can get what she wants. So what should the mother have done instead? She should have stood her ground gently and kindly, explaining to her daughter that the purpose of going to church is to bring glory to God rather than seeking the attention of others for herself. From 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for a woman making a claim to godliness. So, you know what? We can't be too hard on this mom because we've all been this mom at one point or another, haven't we? <laughs> we all have to admit to it. But we need to be paying attention so that we are not unwittingly um, encouraging our children in their rebellion, in their manipulation, seeking to get their own way. That is not helpful for a child at all. So another example was when one of my children was about two years old, they began snubbing Craig when he came home from work. So there was no reason for it. This child loved their daddy dearly, but they were testing the boundaries of where the authority was in our home. So actually, my niece ended up doing this as well. I remember talking to my sister about it, kind of at, you know, comparing notes at, at certain times. So in this case, my niece, though, was snubbing my sister rather than my brother-in-law. So this was outright defiance against the authority of their parents between my child and my niece. <clears throat> so by God's grace, my mom happened to be visiting when my child was kind of going through this stage because my parents were in New Guinea most of the time, so I didn't see them very often. So my mom was there, and she took me aside, and she said, Honey, do you realize what is happening here? That is absolute and total disrespect that your child would treat their daddy like that. And you need to teach them that they can't do that. And so what ended up happening, and that is an awkward situation. If you've ever been in it, it's awkward because you, you feel like as the mom, well, they're preferring me, so am I the one that should spank them? Because they already are upset with dad, so... Maybe I should be the one to spank them and not dad. But whose authority are they disrespecting? Dad's authority. Or if they're snubbing you, then it would be your authority. So you get out of the way and you let daddy deal with that disrespect. And so we listened to what my mom said and that child took only a few times and that child never tried that again because they learned where the boundary was. They learned that that was disrespectful. They couldn't do that. Now, I know I am about out of time here, but I am going to real quick read just a couple of things out of this book. Okay, so this is another Lupriolo. I know a lot of you bought Teach Them Diligently. Um, this book I might probably like better than even Teaching Them Diligently. They're, they're totally different, but this book is so incredibly practical for helping you work through um, 
different challenges that you have with grit, particularly as it relates to anger. So he has here an example, and he, that's his whole chapter on manipulation and what your kids will do to try and get their own way. So I'm just going to read um, a couple of things here real quick, just because I want to give you a sampling so that you really want to go get this and read it. So, and, and he calls them rounds. So it's kind of like, you know, a tennis match or something. And he has eight rounds. I'm only going to give you a sampling of a couple of them just so that you understand what I'm talking about here. So mother says this to her daughter, Phyllis. Go upstairs and clean your room. Phyllis responds, but it's not dirty. You ever been told that before? Here Phyllis is calling into question her mother's presupposition that Phyllis's room is dirty. In other words, she is saying, is it, it is wrong for you to ask me to clean my room because your request is not based on accurate information. Totally disrespecting her mother. So what does mother say? Yes, it is. What has the mother just done? She has answered the fool according to her folly. She has entered into an argument with her daughter. This, at this point, Phyllis's mother begins to answer a fool according to her folly. She allows herself to be lured into a verbal snare designed to disarm her of her parental authority. If Phyllis does trick mom into fighting in her own corner rather than in the one with which her mom is more familiar, then Phyllis will gain the advantage. Mom should not let this happen. Appropriate biblical response would be this. Sweetheart, if you are trying to make an appeal, that is not how it is done. I have seen your room, and it is simply not acceptable. Your responsibility, according to Scripture, is to obey your parents, and I expect you to obey me. If, after you clean your room, you would like to discuss our family standards of cleanliness, I will be happy to do so, provided you discuss them without being disrespectful. So, that's what she should have done, but she didn't. Instead, she engaged in the argument. So, round two. Phyllis says this. You always ask me to clean my room. Here, we most likely have a subtle, manipulative appeal for reasonable justice. Phyllis may be trying to evoke guilt or perhaps sympathy in her mother to get her to back off. So then mother responds, I do not. So she's engaged again in the argument. Again, mother allows herself to be lured into Phyllis's snare. She is lured away from the corner given her by God into the corner of her beloved opponent, adversary. She has once again answered a fool according to her folly, and her daughter still remains wise in her own eyes. So what was the appropriate biblical response? Assuming that mom lost round one by answering a fool according to her folly, rather than by answering a fool as her fool, excuse me, as her folly deserves, she still may recover in round two. Don't forget, if you as a parent should lose the first few rounds because you didn't detect the manipulation soon enough, you have not lost the fight. At any point in the necessary battle, you may recover and deliver the knockout blow. <clears throat> so round three... And this is where we're going to stop here. So then Phyllis says this, You don't keep your room as clean as you expect me to keep mine. You didn't even make your bed this morning. That was always the kicker for me. I'm like, yeah, I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> Phyllis is now bringing out the heavy artillery. She has switched from throwing a few left jabs to heaving a right hook at her mother's conscience. If she can inflict a wound severe enough to produce guilt, she will win this round, perhaps even the whole fight. Phyllis says, you hypocrite, how dare you ask me to do, and this is not really maybe what she's saying, but even what she's implying here. How dare you ask me to do one thing and you practice another? Why are you provoking me to anger with your double standards? I've read that angry kids book that, I, oh, I've read that angry kids book too. <laughs> this one. Um, so mom, how does she respond? You don't have the responsibility that I have. So what is mom always put in the position to do by her rebellious daughter? Defend, defend, defend. Mom should never have to defend, not on her own merit, but why? Because of the word of God. If she does not know the word of God, she is going to come up empty-handed. This is why you have to know. So that when your kids are smart enough to talk like this, and they learn very young, that you can take the word of God and properly administer it. So um, 
Oops, she did it again. She took the bait. She fell for it once more. She has allowed herself to be diverted away from the real issue, her daughter's sin, by the clever smokescreen of guilt. She is answering a foolish accusation rather than rebuking it. So here's the appropriate biblical response. Assuming again for the sake of illustration that mom lost the first two rounds, here is one way she may rebound in the third. Honey, right now your heart needs cleaning more than both of our rooms. You... If you persist in your manipulation, you will leave me no choice but to discipline you for your sinful attitude. The punishment will be to clean my room and your room for one week. You need to make the decision, dear. So he goes on with eight rounds here. That's just a sampling. But I think it's really helpful for you to be able to think rightly about how you can respond to your kids because sometimes it's very confusing and you have permission according to God's word to respond without being sucked in to what your child is trying to accomplish so I realize that that is like kind of just throwing that at you and now I'm going to close you can discuss that in your small group Um, and that was a lot of information for tonight but these are so 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 important Because as our children learn to respect our authority, we give them the greatest opportunity to then look and surrender under the authority of God Almighty. So keep that in your mind as you're thinking through these things. Let's pray.